Christ Community Church is called by the God of all grace. For the transforming of life in Middle Tennessee. Spiritually, socially, and culturally. Through the power of the gospel. From Franklin to the nations of the world. All for the glory of God. For more information, visit ChristCommunity.org. I like tag teaming with her. So our sermon text for today is found in Mark's Gospel and chapter 12 and verse 13 through 17. So I invite you to follow along with me. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him in his talk. And they came and said to him, Teacher, we know that you are true and do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances, but truly teach the way of God. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay them or should we not? But knowing their hypocrisy, He said to them, Why put me to the test? Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. And they brought one. And he said to them, Whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said to him, Caesar's. Jesus said to them, Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God." And they marveled at him. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? Lord Jesus, we ask that the same Holy Spirit who first inspired Mark to record these words he heard Peter preach, that that same Holy Spirit would take these words now and inscribe them on our hearts and minds that we may delight in your will and walk in your ways. And we pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. So with Thanksgiving just a couple of weeks away, we thought a sermon on religion and politics would really help you get ready for your family gatherings around the table. That's why we're, why we're doing this. Not actually. If you're, if you're new with us today, we're in a series called The Scandalous Savior. We're going through Mark's gospel together, and this is where we are today. We're in this text, and in the middle of this situation, just set the table for you there is an increasingly hostile environment that Jesus is encountering during what is leading up to his crucifixion. We're in the last week of Jesus' ministry in public. And part of what's going on, he's coming to Jerusalem, Palm Sunday. People have acclaimed him as the Messiah. And now a group of religious elites have approached him in a confrontational way. We've been looking at that confrontation over the last couple of Sundays. They've backed off now, but not satisfied. They've sent other agents along to try to continue to set a trap for Jesus, this hick from Galilee who's come to the big city and this man with whom everyone is enthralled. They want to find a way 
to stop him. Note the word they in verse 13. And they sent to him some of the Pharisees and some of the Herodians to trap him. Who's the they? Well, the they refers to the people we've been looking at the last couple of Sundays, that, that ruling elite in Jerusalem from the Sanhedrin. So they're backed away, but now here's some other. And it's a curious group they send. They send Pharisees and Herodians. Herodians who were part of the political establishment and Pharisees who were religious purists. So they sent political activists and religious purists to Jesus to try to trap him because you can always trap people with politics and religion, can't you? And Jesus sees what they're doing. They bring to him their classic question, the one they knew they could get him with. You see, there wasn't anybody in Israel that had not been affected by Roman occupation. The um, people had lost relatives to murder, really political murder, at the hands of the Romans. They all had relatives who had been displaced from land and homes because of the overburdening taxation that was going on. They'd all been affected and all felt the edge of that Roman occupation. And many believed that when the Messiah came, He would, of course, throw off that Roman Empire. He would get rid of them. Zion would be the head of the nations again. No more would they be occupied by this foreign power. Jesus... This is happening in the temple. Should we pay taxes to Caesar or not? If he says, well, yes, you should pay taxes to Caesar, then he sounds like he's a collaborator with the occupying Romans. He's in support of this terrible regime. On the other hand, if he says no, then he sounds like he's part of the rebels, which have risen up from time to time. The insurrectionists, which then can allow the political establishment to say, we got to get rid of this guy. He's a threat to the good order of Jerusalem. So either way he goes, they've got him. And of course, what does Jesus do with people who come to him and asks, and they ask questions? What does he do? He goes, well, i got a question for you. So he says, uh, would you by any chance happen to have a denarius on you? And they produce it. This denarius, this common currency of the day, was the Roman coinage that would be used for that tax. And on one side was the emperor, Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus, says the inscription. On the reverse side was Livia. There's Livia, and she has her spear pointed down, and she is holding out an olive branch to symbolize that power in the world is subject to Rome, and when you are subject to Rome, then you are at peace. The Pax Romana. Peace comes through Rome, through the divine power of the Roman state. And then Jesus springs his own trap. Why do you put me to the test? Here we are in the temple, and you produce a Roman coin. None of those images were supposed to be in there. And so he says to the religious purists and the Herodians, I see that you have no trouble 
handling the currency of Rome. Let's talk about it. Who, whose image and likeness is on the coin? Whose inscription? What is the inscription there? They said, he said, whose is it? And they said, Caesar's. And then he said something which has set pens in motion for 2,000 years. Render then to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. And they marveled. Or in Greek it says, their minds were blown. Why? What's so mind-boggling about it? Well, you see, it's tied up in that word likeness and rendering back to God what is His. Have you listened to Jesus as King by Kanye yet? Have you? And if you haven't, why haven't you? Are you that far behind? The last song on that album is a riff on Philippians 2 that every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. God is the Lord over all. He's the King. Why is that important? Because what Jesus does in this passage is say something about where authority lies. And it's why their minds were blown. Who does the coin belong to? It belongs to Caesar. How do you know? Because his image is on it. And as soon as he said image and likeness, they knew where he was going. In Genesis chapter 1, God says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Repeatedly through the Bible, God says human beings are made in God's image. In the book of James, it says our unruly, untamed tongues, which are set on the fire of hell itself, with these tongues we, we bless God and curse people who are made in the image of God. So whether we're talking about human beings before the fall or human beings after the fall, all human beings are made in God's image, and that includes Caesar. Who does the coin belong to? It belongs to Caesar because Caesar's image is on it. Ah, who does Caesar belong to? Render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. He gets the coin. To God, the things that are God's. Who does Caesar belong to? Caesar belongs to who? God. Because Caesar bears the image of God. As do you and I. This means that by right of creation and by right of redemption... For those of you who believe, you are God's. You are no longer your own, but His. Caesar does not have absolute authority. Caesar cannot claim that because Caesar is an image bearer of God. And their their desire to trap Him that day was met by Jesus' assertion of God's sovereignty over all of life and that the kingdom of God was coming because all people bear the image and the likeness 
of the Almighty. You see, some people will say that what Jesus did here is create a kind of sacred, secular divide. Well, this part of life over here, this belongs to God, and this part of life over here doesn't belong to God. But no, this part of life over here that some people want to say doesn't belong to God bears God's image and it belongs to Him. So this is why Jesus in the resurrection says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Not just in heaven, not just in the church. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. There's no secular, sacred divide. Over here is the sacred space. And over here is secular space where you can't mention God and where God really doesn't rule. And you Christians, please keep your faith in a private place where it's confined to your own conscience and can't be spoken of anywhere else. Well, actually, God is Lord of all. There's no sacred, secular divide in that sense. There's a distinction to be made between institutions that God creates. The individual, which has a property in his or her own conscience. The family, which again, God creates. The civil order, which God creates. The church that Jesus establishes. Every single one of these are institutions that God fashions, but they exist under His sovereignty. Pontius Pilate says to Jesus, Don't you know I've got authority to let you go or put you to death? And Jesus says to Pilate, You would have no authority unless... He doesn't say you don't have it. He says you'd have no authority unless it was what? Given to you by my Father who's in heaven. So all of these different institutions exist under the hand, under the lordship of Jesus Christ. There is no realm of the cosmos over which King Jesus does not say, Mine. It is all His. It is all accountable to Him. Everything comes from Him, exists through Him, and will go back to Him. There is no, here's the sacred space, Here's the not sacred space. For the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all those who dwell therein. Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is full of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Isaiah heard cried out from heaven. Every part of creation is filled with the glory of God. It's all sacred. You are sacred space. For you are the image of God and the dwelling place of the Almighty. The mountains proclaim His faithfulness. The trees in the field clap their hands. There isn't a stream or a drop of rain that doesn't tell us about the Holy Spirit. The stars sing together because of God's creative power being displayed in the world. And they proclaim the message of the Lord. Every aspect of creation is under the hand of God. And this means Christ is Lord over all. And when Jesus said this, He let them know that He would not fall into their religious and political trap. He would not fall into the place where His mission to save those who are fallen would be in any way endangered. Christ came to save sinners, Paul said. That's why He came. He came to take the sacred spaces which have been desacralized, desecrated, vandalized by sin, besmirched by the fall, and heal those broken places 
restore the fallen image so that that vandalism would be repaired. How does he do this? He does this by going to the cross. He does this by saying no to both religion and politics. By focusing on the proclamation of what he has come to do. This does not mean that you shouldn't be involved in politics. Again, every single one of these areas are under the lordship of Christ. Christians should be involved. I even ran for office once, for a county office in 1993. I I lost nobly to the great relief of many people. It doesn't mean you shouldn't be involved. We have to be involved. But the fact of the matter is we have to remember what our focus is. I think sometimes when we think about the place of faith in culture, we can learn a lot from the persecuted church. You see, what the society has tried to do with a passage like this over the years is create either a state church or a church state. Creating, for instance, in the high medieval consensus, a, a place where church power was so great that the government existed basically as a department of the church. And papal authority was used to depose kings and princes. On the other hand, now at the other extreme, you've got people who want to say, well, Christians can have no part whatsoever in anything to do with the realm of government and politics. And Sometimes in history, states which hold themselves to be divine, the divine Tiberius, son of the divine Augustus, where the state is a god, have asserted their authority in such a way that Christians have been savagely persecuted. The early Christians were put to death for the charge of atheism. Atheism? Why were they put to death for atheism? That's bizarre. Well, if the state is a god and you don't worship the state, that makes you a what? An atheist. And that was the charge against them. Because the earliest Christian confession is Jesus is Lord. And when Christians in the first century said Jesus is Lord, they were not only saying something about Jesus, they were saying something about Caesar. Because the common Roman greeting was Caesar is Lord. When a Christian said Jesus is Lord, he was saying, and Caesar is not. And if you said Caesar is not Lord in the Roman world, that's the kind of talk that could get you in trouble. And yet many Christians today still think that Caesar is Lord. They think that it is by Caesar that change can occur. When in fact it is through Christ alone and through the gospel by which the world can be saved. Wang Yi is a pastor in communist China. He's in prison. He was taken captive last fall, along with his wife. He wrote a letter. It's lengthy. I'm only going to read you an excerpt from it. For his church and for his city to be published after he was in prison, knowing that he would. And he wrote, as a pastor, my firm belief in the gospel, my teaching and my rebuking of all evil proceeds from Christ's command in the gospel and from the unfathomable love of that glorious king. 
Every man's life is extremely short. And God fervently commands the church to lead and call all to repentance, all who will repent. Christ is eager and willing to forgive all who will turn from their sins. This is the goal and efforts of the church to testify to the world about our Christ, to testify to the middle kingdom about the kingdom of heaven. What are we here for? Are we here for political power and political gain? Do we imagine that that kind of action is what brings the kingdom? The gospel is the power of God for salvation. It's the gospel that restores the broken image. That's why this man who's living under a horrifyingly wicked regime says, my task, he goes on to say, is not to change the politics of China. I have no intention of changing any institutions or laws of China. Only one thing I care about is the disruption of man's sinful nature by the testimony of the cross of Christ. The mission of the church is only to be the church and not become part of the governmental institution. He goes on to note that it is precisely because none of my words and actions are directed towards seeking and hoping for societal and political transformation that I have no fear of any social or political power. He closes the letter by rejoicing in the fact that he's about to go into prison because he believes that in prison his captors will see that there is nothing to fear from Christianity and are more likely to become believers in Jesus. And he says, pray for me that in my captivity I will bear faithful witness to Jesus. Luther said the early church did not seek for its survival by creating a concordat with Diocletian or Domitian or Nero, but by bearing faithful witness to the cross of Christ. And this means that when you face the Caesars, the Pontius Pilots, the, the Herods of our own day, you have to ask what we're doing here. What is it that we're called to do? We are called as the people of God to see all other people as the image bearers of God, including the Caesars, including the people in power. Let me, let me help you with this. I want you to imagine for just a moment a politician you don't like. That shouldn't be hard. Some of you can go, I got five or six here, Pastor. Could be a candidate you don't like. All right, let me ask you a question. Do you care more about their policies that you hate or their soul that God loves? I asked, did you care more? I'm not saying you shouldn't care about the policy. I'm asking, about which do you care more? The policies, well, those are a threat to me. Our pastor in China says, I'm here for their souls. I'm here to bear witness to the soul. This is why, friends, we have to do two things. Here's, here it is. We have to be on message. We are called as the body of Christ to be known for the proclaimers of the gospel in the world, to be those who make Jesus known. Let me put it to you this way. Suppose we all form up teams and we go out to, say, all the major cities in the United States. Go to New York, go to Philadelphia, go to Boston, go to Portland, Seattle... Go uh, Dallas, 
Austin, San Antonio, down to Houston, hit Nashville, go to Atlanta, fill in all these major cities, and we're going to go out with our clipboards, and we're going to go up to people, average guy on the street, average woman in the street, and say, I'm going to give you one word, and I want you to tell me the, the first word that comes to your mind after I tell you this word. Here's the word. Evangelical. Now give me the first thing that comes to your mind. If the first thing that comes to someone's mind when they hear the word evangelical isn't, Oh, Jesus! The people that love Jesus. The people that can't stop talking about Jesus. If some other answer than that is what comes out, we're not on message. We're not doing our job. Why is it that the church in America thinks that by being political... It will accomplish the work of the kingdom. It cannot. It will not. Caesar is an image bearer of God and he needs saving. But the only thing that will save the Caesars is the gospel. The same thing that saves everybody else. That's it. That's what we're here for. If you have deeper fellowship with somebody who shares your politics than somebody who shares your Savior, you've got an idol in your heart. You are all different. You all have... Well, it is Williamson County, so some of you are different. (laughs) We don't all agree on politics. Some of you even disagree with me. What's the basis of our fellowship? We have to be on message. It's about Jesus. All these other things are temporary. They will go away. A hundred years from now, all new people, and whoever wins the next election will be nothing more than an answer a fifth grader misses on a history final. But the gospel and souls. So here's the second thing. We not only have to be on message, we have to be in service. Because again, how many people are image bearers of God? Every person is an image bearer of God. Atheists, agnostics are image bearers of the God they don't believe in. Your Hindu neighbor, your Muslim neighbor, even your Baptist neighbor is an image bearer of God. Your Pentecostal neighbor, everybody's an image bearer of God. And that is why we are called to love our neighbors. Hot on the heels of this passage will be Jesus' teaching about loving God and loving your neighbor. It's there for a reason. And that's why I keep coming back to this quote from C.S. Lewis, which I will quote to you four or five times a year to the point of where you will get sick of it. My goal, my goal is that when I die, when they finally wrap it up and they carry me out, you will go, thank God that guy is gone and I won't have to hear that C.S. Lewis quote anymore. Listen to this, from the the sermon, The Weight of Glory. It may be possible for each to think too much of his own potential glory hereafter. It is hardly possible for him to think too often or too deeply about that of his neighbor. It is a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses to remember that the dullest and most uninteresting person you talk to may one one day be a creature which, if you saw it now, 
you would be strongly tempted to worship. Or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. And all day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities, it is with the awe and circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all our dealings with one another, all our friendships, all love, all play, all politics, all Facebook posts. I threw that in. There are no ordinary people you have never talked to a mere mortal. My friends, Christ said Caesar bore God's image and belonged to him. Whatever belongs to God goes back to him. For from him and through him and to him are all things. And Tiberius will stand before God. The Chinese authorities that locked up Wang Yi will stand before God. They who imprisoned him will be imprisoned by angels. All people will stand before God. That's why Jesus Christ went to the cross. How is it that he came to go to the cross? Religious authorities and political authorities teamed up and put him on the cross. And whenever you combine religion and politics, you end up with a crucified person. But when you proclaim the crucified person, you deliver people from the demonic hierarchies of politics and religion. And you bring people face to face with the one who loves them so much that he spread out his arms on the cross and said, I will be pierced. I will hang here. I will bear your sins in my body. I will forgive you because your immortal soul is more important to me than earthly power. And he laid his life down under the authority of religious institutions and political institutions. He laid his life down so that at the end you could live. He rose from the dead on the first day of the week so that you could be raised from the dead on the last day of history. And so, my friend, today, the one who offers you eternal life is not a king. He's the king of kings. He's not a priest. He's the great high priest. He's the lion who is a lamb. And he bids you to put your life in his hand. Won't you do so? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, King of kings and Lord of lords, we bow before you, you who were slain, but you who live forevermore, you who have come to give us eternal life through the shedding of your blood. Would you now pour your Spirit into our lives so that we might learn to be free from the idols of politics and religion. And remember that all bear your image and all must come to you, you who have created us. And we pray that you will help us to be a church that is on message and in service, loving God, loving our neighbors. And for this, we give you praise and thanks through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. 
Jesus is Lord. Amen.